On this week's Inside Marketing, I'll be talking to ad tech guru, Mr. Kieran O'Kane. He is a man who's never afraid to speak his mind, so it should make for a very interesting listening as we talk all things ad tech and we have a look at what 2022 holds for ad tech. That's only on this week's Inside Marketing. The Inside Marketing Podcast, brought to you by Dentsu and Irish Times Media Solutions. Hello and welcome to this week's Inside Marketing. As I said, this is an Inside Marketing Meets episode and I'm delighted to be joined by Kieran O'Kane. Hey, Kieran, how's it going? Hello, Dave. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm, I'm, and my brain is a bit kind of numb still. This is day two back for me, so I'm still trying to adjust. Yes, yesterday was hard. I'm not going to lie. It was tough. How are you? Are you? Is it quiet? Is it busy this week for you? Um, I think this is more like an admin week. Um, yeah. I think people are still on on holiday or they're like yourself, just easing themselves back in. So there's not an awful lot being done this week. Oh, I mean, we are we're doing quite a lot of planning for a year ahead, but um, I think most people are kind of easing their way back in. I think they're a bit like yourself. I think that they, you know, all this COVID nonsense has really affected people's uh, mindset. Yeah. And, you know, positivity would be lacking at the minute. So, um, but I'm okay. I'm I'm a, I'm a, I'm getting admin. I'm just getting all my admin done. Getting my Good inbox man. down to zero. Good man. Go. Good man. I'm jealous of that. My inbox is not never going to go down to zero. It's just most of all junk anyway. Um, and what's the mood like in what's the the, the mood, business mood like in London where you are now in in Adland and ad tech? Um, I would say pretty pretty good. Um, I think that obviously uh, last year there was a bit of a wobble in terms of like uh, spend and clients pulling back spend. But they really, really pushed on. I think like the change in the habits of of users of, of people, ordinary people around e-commerce, etc., have have accelerated um, online and digital spending, which has obviously benefited uh, um, the industry and ad tech because it's mostly you know rooted in that area. Um, but yeah, I think it's pretty upbeat. Like ad tech's been flying this year. Most of the publicly listed companies had a fantastic year in terms of valuations. M&A has gone mental uh, around various areas of ad tech. So, yeah, it's, I think 2022 is going to be just as busy and just as positive. Yeah, well, that, that's great. Glad to hear that. And I, I saw, we'll, we'll touch on this at the end. You're, you're back in the in the um, events business, so we can touch on that later on. But um, this is actually your third time on Inside Marketing. Um, so this is your hat trick. You get to keep the match ball after this one, Kieran. This is a... We get a cap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get you can keep the trophy. So, um, right. But yeah, and I don't know if you if you if you listen to our kind of wrap up of, of the the highlights episode, but you kind of made you made the cut on that one as well. So because I always I say and genuinely mean this, I'm a big fan of your um, Mad Tech podcast. It's brilliant. But reason why we got you on in the first place is because um, you're well a couple of things. You're famous for your predictions first and foremost, and and I do listen to your your podcast, and you have a pretty good success rate on them. The thing I love about predictions is. You can never actually be wrong because when you say something's going to happen, you know, it, it can never, yeah, it can never not happen. Most yeah, so, so you're kind of just the timelines may change, but you've a good over record. ten year horizon, Dave. I'm always right. Yeah, and that's a good thing. But in fairness, though, you do have a you do have a, a a pretty good track record. And again, as anyone who listens to Mad Tech, or if, if you don't, I suggest you listen to it because it's brilliant. But if anyone listens to it, you'll know you say things. Um, you're not afraid to say things. You're not constrained like maybe I might be in terms of my job. So you can say whatever it is. Um, whatever you you can say whatever you like um, and good or bad and we don't all have to agree but I do like that kind of it's refreshing to hear you can be honest about things so I'm going to start off with predictions first of all so um, 
I think it was maybe it was eighteen months ago when you came on, or maybe it's longer than that. I can't remember. But one of your one of your big predictions was that you said Google were going to get out of the ad tech business, and it it looked like that was going to happen. They were shaping up um, to do that, and um, with all the antitrust heat they were getting, so. They haven't got out of it yet, but as I say, predictions are great because you can say, well, they will get out of it. The timeline may change. So you're never wrong until you're wrong. But my first question is, and I, I presume you still, but do you, do you think they're still going to get out of the ad tech business or are you kind of going to, are you going to admit defeat on that one? No, I, I, I don't think I'm going to admit defeat because I think like the noose around Google's neck is tightening all the time, right? There are, there are so many anti-competitive cases against them in the US and Europe about, about the sort of like practices they've engaged in over the last five, six years. And it all sort of is centered, well, the, the big case in the US, which is brought, was, which is brought to court by um, Texas, uh, the state of Texas and a bunch of other states that Google's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's around the ad tech double click stack effectively. And I think that's causing a lot of headaches for them. Now, there's a bunch of things that are propelling Google's decision around this, right? Now, I, I still maintain that they will they will shutter or they will spin out parts of their business to to get away from the glare of uh, legislators and sort of anti-competitive agencies in the US and Europe. And the most logical way they can do that is to sort of look at third-party ad tech and say, look, we're doing so well in search. We're doing very well in YouTube. We already have, we don't want to lose anything, these things by forced uh, spin outs of, of, of key, key products that we want to keep. And they will say to themselves, well, you know, if we make a sacrifice of, of some sort, then I think it will lessen the heat on us. Mm. And I think they will get ahead of the action that's going through the courts in a minute. And make some kind of deal with um, with the various parties that are bent on on sort of um, blunting Google's influence in the ad business. So, that, what makes sense to me is probably something like you know their ad server business, um, third party ad server business, and AdX, the the, the um, ad exchange they run. Now, all of the stuff that's come out about how you know Google literally makes no money on publisher ad server which and they have like a 97% market share in that area they make all their money through annex right that's where they really make their money through the black box now there's been a lot of stuff going on in that area where they have taken action against ad tech independent ad tech around header bidding etc to maintain that annex margin that they take and nobody's really sure how much margin they make because it's totally not transparent because there's so many ways that Google can take margin into that black box. They got DSPs and ad servers and SSPs. There's a lot of stuff that Google can sort of leverage to make money, right? So it makes sense to me that Google would say, you know what? The other thing that's really important to Google is is the privacy piece, right? The cookie deprecation, specifically in outside of the US and particularly in Europe, that addicts is, is a headache for them and a privacy piece, right? We know ourselves, we, we've talked about it on the podcast previously, that third-party cookies are just not fit for purpose anymore. And it doesn't matter how many times you can sort of like hack it, it's just not going to work. Uh, and Addix is a ticking time bomb in terms of sort of class action suits and fines from various government agencies, privacy oversight agencies, etc. And I think that it may happen this year, and it will surprise people when it does. They'll just come out of the blue right. and Google decide either to sell it, spin it off, sell it to a private equity company, or just just basically just collapse it. Mm. I stand by it because I think that 
I just think as a business, it just really isn't that interesting for Google. And why yeah. should it be? Yeah, and I think you're right because it, it will now whether it will take the heat off them or not, I don't know, but it will certainly it will certainly help. Um, and you're better off to you're better off to offer something up rather than wait for someone else to hand something down to you. I think so. Yeah, I I agree. With you. And it's interesting that you you talked because you kind of referred to another big bets that you made, which was the third party cookies. Now I think when you came on ages ago. Um, they just announced it and you said, I, I predicted they were going to do it. I just didn't think they were going to do it that quickly. And they announced it a, a long time ago, but it's supposed to be effective as of now, actually. It's supposed to be, what, Jan 2022. Um, but yet again, I have a couple of questions about this. So marketing would be better, infinitely better overall in terms of user experience for the consumer. And, and we'd, we'd figure out how to do it properly again, how to target people better, but without third-party cookies. So I think it's a good thing. Um, but yet, there's a reluctance. We just we just don't seem to be able to let go of third party cookies. Like we're still talking about it. Why don't why don't the industry just get on with it and go? Look, okay, third party cookies are going. It, it's good. It's good for everybody. It's good for the user. We've been taking the piss and and abusing them and misusing them. So they're gonna go. Let's go. Why are we still kind of hanging on to them tooth and nail and and getting a stay of execution from them? Why? What, what's the problem? Oh, probably inertia, Dave. I mean, it's a big, it's a big uh, effort to kind of move from one sort of uh, massive legacy framework to something that's unknown mm. um hence the reason why you still you're seeing quite a lot of buyers just piling everything into chrome uh so they can use the last vestiges of a of of the cookie ecosystem before it goes away but the reality is this is a slow born right you know this the, the idea of cookie apocalypse was, was slightly nonsensical but what is happening is it's a slow born you're seeing it on the fringes, you're seeing it now, the big agencies, where they are starting to think about life beyond the cookie itself, right? So particularly mm. around targeting, particularly around measurement. And the publishers, in fairness to them in the UK, from what I've seen, have, be, have been getting ahead of this. And I'm very smart about what, like, you know, what I see happening right now is our industry, our legacy ad tech industry, is trying to basically keep the status quo, right? Yeah. Keeping keep it, because... To re-architect that would just be a nightmare, right? For a lot of companies, they would they would just die, right? Because they wouldn't be able to survive the transition. Mm. Um, it's a massive technological uh, undertaking, massive cost, and they've got too much money invested uh, from a revenue point of view and an R&D point of view in the cookie, right? So what we see is all this stuff like UID and pre-bid and all that stuff, just trying to keep the status quo. But it's interesting. I was reading an article yesterday that some of the publishers are not interested in it. They've realized that they are the game, right? First party data is a real asset. So why would they play the same game that they that they got duped on for the last 10 years? So a lot of them are kind of keeping that particular asset in their own domain, right? So so while while it, it looks like we're sort of hanging on, I do see a lot of a lot of buyers, a lot of marketers, a lot of ad, and I have to give this a lot of ad tech companies as well, starting to rethink how the privacy force landscape is going to look beyond you know the Google sort of uh, cutoff period, right? Mm-hmm. Now this is why this is why I think Google's left. They don't really care, right? right. If they if they leave the business, the cookie doesn't matter to them because YouTube's first party for them. Uh, search is first party for them. So they don't, they don't really care. Google will have a ginormous business and still making gobs of money mm. without having to worry about the third party ecosystem. As an industry, I think we need to kind of almost think and act that the cookie's dead, right? right? That we have no choice but to move on. But because they're still kind of hanging around with Chrome, 
people are still hanging on it right. and still piling money into it. Yeah, and as we, you, we talked about this before, there's a lot of, lot, and we, we'll cover it maybe later on, there's, there's a lot of companies who earn quite a substantial living off off um, the cookie. So, um, and just to remind people, listen, so, you know, I, I think, I think advertising would be better all around. It might not be better for agencies in the short term or, you know, marketers in the short term, but all all around, I think it'd be better. It would be better experience for people, for users, for consumers. It will make life better when, when third-party cookies are gone. Um, but there's some pretty big implications there. So things, And we keep talking about the things that you won't be able to do. You won't be able to do this. You won't be able to do that. But like, what are what are the with change comes opportunity? So what are, what are some of the big things that you think this reset will will kind of um, offer up, or how we should think about things differently? Yeah, I, I think we'll move away from a Google force metric around the last click, like just nonsensical uh, measurement, like uh, you know look back window, etc. Will will disappear. I think we'll what we'll we'll move to more stuff like attention based uh, mm. marketing, which I think has got more value. For brands, particularly around the brand brand building, so I think we're, what we will have is a reimagining of 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 measurement and sort of privacy first targeting. And what I mean by that is like we're not going to sort of be using data in a way that is not uh, that is not sort of um, reflecting the new legislative or sort of technological sort of move towards privacy. So so I think that's what we're going to see in that instance. I think that's exciting. And I, and I genuinely believe that, that you, you will see some some brilliant innovation around that. I think what we'll have is a flight to uh, quality as well. And what I mean by that is you'll have less... There's a lot of crap on the internet, right? Long-tail sites that just basically publish crap content mm. and, uh, and inflammatory content and then just basically using cookie, cookie-based sort of advertising to make money. And what we have instead is probably flight quality in the sense that you've got the Irish Times, the Irish Independent, and those sort of um, sort of uh, environments will be more friendly to context and mm. quality. And, and because of that, I think that you're going to see less money for that long tail rubbish. There'll still be great sites uh, in the long and mid tail um, that offer like intent-based um, targeting or some sort of have really unique audiences. And they'll find a way to survive, but all this sort of sort of long tail yeah. uh, crap will go away. I think that's really good for publishers. I think the, the third thing, which is going to be interesting, is is the move back to to sort of seeing the creative as, as a centerpiece of of marketing and advertising. And for for years, it's kind of almost been overlooked over you know the one to one marketing mantra. So we will see sort of a, a sort of rebirth of. Um, Creative, and that will that will lead into creative ad technology, which I which I'm already seeing a sort of resurgence in terms of um, investment around, and I think that's really exciting because I think we, for years we've kind of undervalued creative uh, as as a centerpiece, mm. and I think that's great. So those three things will help the advertising experience, and I also think that will will, will improve user experience on websites because because there's folks, there, there's less you know there's there's more concentration spend on the premium sites. We're going to see less ads. Yeah. We're going to see more engaging ads, and I think that's good for the marketer in terms of performance and good for the user. Mm. Now, people will be shouting at this podcast: well, "How do we do measurement? How do we do, you know, how do we address frequency capping? And what do we use as targeting metrics?" But there are contexts is is it is it as good a way 
targeted as any sort of cookie-based sort of um, retargeting piece. Mm. And the measurement can be sorted out via, you know, a, a sort of like investment in sort of scale panel-based marketing or or something completely different, which will, will not require, um, you know, us to sort of like misuse data. Because mm-hmm. uh, I, I think... Sometimes the part we're we're trying to find a hack to the third party cookie solutions, which, Why? which I don't Why? know, Why? and I think that's what people say. And if we if we just spent, if we just accepted it's gone and just spent our time saying right, how can we do how can we do better in terms of marketing rather than trying to, you know, invest lots of energy to try and get a work around this. I just think it'd be an awful lot better. I'm kind of tired. I can't, we're still talking about the death of third-party cookies. I thought, I thought we'd be over it by now, but we're still here. Here I we think are. What we should do as an industry, we should just accept our dead right? yeah. and move on. It's almost like a fucking failed marriage at this stage, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, good point. Good point. Um, now, just to unpack that, that point a little bit more, you you said, and I've kind of read a few things you were talking about, you said legacy ad tech must evolve or die. So let, let's talk about some of the likely changes there. Um, and you made a point that... Um, Everyone is a clean room. So firstly, can you explain to people, listen, what a clean room is? And then also, you also say, I think you're, 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 the way you put it was, don't believe the bullshit. I think that was the way you put it. So can you tell us what a clean room is and tell us why we shouldn't believe everyone's a clean room who say they are? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, think, I think the clean room area of ad tech is very interesting um, in terms of how we, we will segment data and how we might use it in a privacy force way. So the idea of a, of a, of a uh, clean room is that specific data is, is loaded into individual sort of AW instances. I mean, like, so, so basically up into the cloud and there's the individual uh, sealed bunkers, if you will. I'm just put, put that metaphor, but they're all, and then there's a way to match the data, um, which then builds these segments, these, these segments which then can be used at scale, right? So the idea is that uh, an auto uh, website and a, you know, a marketer that wants auto and tenders could match their data and right. then run campaigns. Um, and there's been a lot of investment in these in these uh, um, types of, of technology businesses. InfoSum springs to mind because they're obviously they were forced out of the blocks and now they've got Brian Lesser, who's obviously of um, Group M, WPP, uh, Fame, um, and, and AT&T. AT&T, when he ran the ad business there, he's now the CEO um, but there's tons of other businesses that um, have popped up, and I think this is going to be a big category because I don't th- I don't think it's going to be one size fits all. I think there'll be some very interesting uh, plays at a, a sort of scaled international level. I think there'll be uh, local uh, clean rooms because a lot of it, a lot of clean room success lives and dies by you know who's involved, how much data you've got, how many buyers, and how, you know how many how many publishers, how many marketers you have involved in that process. So it's relationship driven. So I think at a local level, I think those local clean rooms will do very well. And then there'll be like either like vertical uh, clean rooms or, or sort of like clean rooms and stuff like CTV or, or at a home like that are specifically right. focused. So you'll see lots of these uh, entities popping up, but there's a lot of nonsense around, you know, companies sort of cleaning their clean rooms when really they're just segmenting cookie data and, and aggregating cookie data and just executing on that. But I'm very bullish on the clean room tech. Mm. I think there's lots of applications around that. And I, I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm, I'm pretty hopeful that um, that would be one way that we can work in a privacy-first way. 
I mean, obviously, they're probably going to encounter their own privacy issues going down the line, but there's going to be technology that helps people opt out of those processes as well, right. which is really important. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, agree. Um, on Google now, just to stick with Google for a minute, so, um, you know, you talked about about publishers will do well out of out of this new this new world and that they, you know, why, why would they continue to play the game that they've been shafted on for the last 10 years? Now, Back in tw- in September last year, twenty one, um, Google and they've done it in other markets, but they they've kind of announced a deal where they'll be paying Irish publishers for quality Irish content. Now, I'm not the, the PR machine behind it says this is a brilliant initiative by Google to to support Irish media. In your like, is this well, it's probably inevitable. But do you think again, but maybe in line with are, are they getting ahead of things here? Do you think? Do you think it's um, well, it's good move for publishers. I'm not sure what they're getting out of it, but I'm not sure how much they're paying. But is it Google trying to play nice to avoid a slap on the wrist or legislation again? Is it a little bit like what what we talked about earlier? Um, this all stems back from the Australian brouhaha that blew up their. Uh, year ago when the publishers were, were, were demanding that Google pay for news. Um, and I think maybe Google fre- feared a little bit of contagion right. uh, spreading through through the world. So the, I guess they're getting ahead of it and paying publishers for it. I, I mean, it's great PR for them. Like what, what, what really is it's a dip in the, in the, in the yeah. massive cash ocean that, that Google have. So really I, I, I just see it as a PR exercise. I mean, you know, Google come on and say we're doing right thing, but like they've done their best to to kind of rip the publisher yeah. model apart for the last uh, twenty years, and that's because Google innovated, right? But innovated in the first instance, but you know, obviously acquired they, acquired later on. I mean, that been that innovative, really. In most of yeah, acquisitions, they, they, they innovated first, and then they acquired. I mean, like they acquired DoubleClick, they acquired AdMail, they acquired um, uh, what do you call it? The DSP. Uh, technology, which the name is Invite Media, um, and they acquired a bunch of mm. technology um, that they built into a, a sort of like end-to-end stack, which has helped them control the flow of money in the publisher, sort of digital publisher ecosystem, um, which has not helped the publishers anyway, because innovation forces Google to kind of like give and take in terms. But they've take, they've made so much money yeah. from this, so it's something like this. Just you know, gets my antennas up in terms of like this is just a PR exercise. It's just, it's just, a, it's just a bit of tokenism. It's just. I like, am delighted that the publishers are making money out yeah. of this. That's, that's great to see. But like, think about how much money they have lost. Yeah. From sort of like the the market machinations of Google's uh, of Google mm. in, in the ad tech space. Yeah. So it's a. Yeah, it's a gesture, but you uh, I mean in this stage, particularly the Irish publishers look, look to get anything is, is good from at, at this point. But yeah, it's kind of lost opportunity, and, and they've let. I mean, a lot of them have let themselves get to this situation. Um, yeah, Give the like, content available free. Think about this, there, right? It's 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 not a case. Uh, Google has 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 you know in a Machiavelli way used this use this um, this monopoly right that they've built up to kind of just basically almost. Uh, trap the publisher, right? Think about, you know, the the Google Ad server is effectively free, right? I mean, you're paying pennies in the pound when you over set like first hundred million impressions of Google's ad ad and server ad server is free, right? And I could run a business, and the first hundred million impressions is free, and then after that, it's like it's it's minuscule. So for an ad tech company to come in and compete with Google in the ad server is just impossible, yeah. right? 
It's not economic It's economically impossible. And then Google basically forces those publishers to throw inventory into addicts where they can do all sorts of slicing and dicing in terms of arbitrage, right? It's an absolute shit show in many ways for, for publishers because they have no idea what's going on. So I think that Google have, have skillfully put people into a, 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 a position where you cannot operate without Google. Mm. And, and I think that's where we're at right now. And they've got no rigor room because they've kind of like just almost paint themselves in a corner in terms of the yeah, market. Because you can't not put your content, you can't not make your content available on Google, can you? It's not an option for publishers. So you're, are you going to... Yeah. Impossible. Impossible. Yeah. So, yeah, it's... it's well, yeah, it's, well, I mean, it's a little bit of it's a it's a t- bit of tokenism, but for publishers, but, but it was big news here. Um, and you talked about there, you know, in terms of the cost to Google, it's it's kind of it's not even a drop in the ocean for them. So wouldn't even be wouldn't even be a nanosecond of cash flow. For yeah, them, no. I, I, but on the same note, and you think because we, we talked about these fines, so uh, you know th- these, and again, they're great PR and they're great money into the coffers for for um, governments in terms of there was a fine here that the Irish Data Protection Commission took against the fa- Facebook and, and under what. WhatsApp misuse of data and it was like massive number 225 million now that is a big number um, it's 225 million is a lot of cash but on the face of it it's nothing to them so I, I often think are these fines actually a deterrent at all or do, are they just literally written into the, the company's balance sheets as a cost of business and, and oh, kind of governments love fine. them it's a parking fine and if yeah. anything as soon as a, a, one of the, the big uh, big tech companies gets fined their stock price goes up because the market understands that they're getting away with more. It's incredible. Yeah. Like it's just it's incredible how behind the ball or behind the core most legislators are on this. Um, I do think it's changed because Biden's come in and he's brought in some really smart people. So he's got another two, three years left in his term. Well, it's got another two year, three years left in his term. So I think something will happen in the next in the next uh, three years. I, I think there'll be a bunch of interesting stuff happening. One of, one of the things I think might happen, and it's it's quite big, is that um, there will be some 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 parts of business spun out. I think that AWS out of Amazon is going to mm. be big because that company on its own probably worth about, you know, 700 billion, like, um, yeah. or, or something to that effect. It'd be absolutely massive. Um, so there'll be, it won't come from legislators, it'll come from shareholders. There'll be, Forced by their own shareholders to do something. Right. Power capitalism, Dave. At those at the yeah, end of the day. I know. I know. Yeah. Dirty word, capitalism. Um. Right. Let's kind of chat about some of the, the looking forward the, the year ahead and some of your your predictions that you made for twenty twenty two. Um. So. First of all, you said that, and again, look, you're you're deep in in ad tech, so not all of our listeners are. So I, I may just try and ask you some simple, dumb questions to try and explain to some of our listeners who aren't quite as as tech savvy. But one of the first things you said is, and it's because um, connected TV is not as big a scale opportunity for ad tech outside the US that you see a big bet in terms of for ad tech is that they'll the, the opportunity for retail media. So can you expand on that and what you mean? Yeah, so I, I'll just unpack two, the first thing, which is the CTV stuff, right? So I still think CTV is an opportunity, but I think that the rules of engagement are very different outside the US, right? First of all, we were, we're never wire cutters here because we never there was never any wires to cut, right? We, we, yeah. we most most countries have a national broadcast or or have multiple national broadcasts that are free to air. So we're never in a situation where we're signing up for massive subscriptions to uh, to get access to CBS or NBC like type stuff. Um, 
I think the US is a very skilled English-speaking market, 350 million people, and a mass, the biggest market, market in the world, right? So in that, you, can, you can imagine that CTV has a, has a healthy breeding ground to build up like this sort of data-driven buy, buys across that TV ecosystem. And everybody's bought into it. And there's been a pile of M&A in the US. My, my sort of, sort of uh, take on that outside the US is that we are not going to see the same sort of like adoption of CTV. What we're going to see is various stakeholders like RT in, Europe, in, in, in Ireland, for instance, will, will, will probably put a lot of their inventory in a walled garden and will not want it to be bidded on an open exchange, right? Uh, and even then, it'll probably be done the most by IOs and upfront buys, et cetera, from agencies, which I'm sure that's what's happening already. But there'll be some data piece layered on top of it, right? I think the big play for CTV is aggregation of all those different inventory types mm. and packaged up sold into the agency. And I think there's a bunch of companies that are coming online to do that. I think there's going to be some interesting plays. In fact, we were looking at one company that we're investing from, uh, from the VC fund we run, uh, First Party Capital. But um, so that, that's CTV. And so I, I want people to just realize that that is an opportunity, but it's not the runaway opportunity is in the US. Mm. And, and also, we also have to think, we also have to remember that the biggest CTV uh, platform in the world is YouTube and everybody just piles money into that anyway. So... Yeah. Those are things to remember. So outside of that, I think that for me, retail media is the is the great opportunity of the decade, uh, it, it, of the year, and probably of the decade as well. And I, I'll just sort of ha- can explain what retail media is to pe- to, to your to your listeners, Dave. Um, so imagine what what Amazon has done in terms of putting ads on their website. Right? Um, they've ele- basically allowed uh, other retail retailers or sellers to, to, to sell products against their competitors or or a contextual line product, right? Mm. Amazon has been basically minting money off the back of this by 8 billion per quarter. Like it's insane. They're now doing, I think, 30 billion run rate on, on their ad business, which is mental. Um, so what what what's that? Where's that money coming from? Like, is that just like money diverted from display advertising search? No, that's money that was sitting in in-store marketing, right? We know, you know, as an agency that you guys spend a, a ton of money with very stakeholders in the retail space mm. to buy marketing in-store and uh, magazines, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? That money is going to shift online. It's already shifting online. So what you're going to see is you're going to see a pile of retailers and e-commerce sites running ads on their, on their website. Now for ad tech, this is just an open goal, right? Think about it, right? You've got this massive disparate ecosystem that is not like uh, managed in any way, right? There's no way to access these ads at scale. It's all very, very much built around their own wall garden. So first of all, there's a whole thing around measurement, right? From a buyer's perspective, if you're running on a bunch of different websites, how do you manage your spend across? So in Europe alone, right, there's 80 marketplaces, right? how How do you run campaigns across all those specific sites so measurements one then there's the aggregation piece on the pub on on the buy on the sell site right who's going to aggregate these sites so so you as a buyer dave can can buy these ads mm-hmm. optimize these ads and just sell more shit right mm-hmm. huge now it also feeds into what's happening in display when display is going through a bit of a, a wobble if you will because the cookie goes away there's no proxy anymore for measurement etc right 
the retail media stuff doesn't need, need a, a, a cookie. It needs all, all, all those, those sites are intent laden, right? So it's all based on keywords and context and rather than behavior, right? Mm. So you have this incredible uh, environment to, to market to people, right? And if you and me are on an Amazon site or an eBay site or an Irish equivalent, I don't know. Dundeal or, you know, adverts. Dundeal, right. Okay. So imagine Dundeal have their own, their own sort of like their own product placements on, on their site, right? That, that for me and you, we, we, we're actually in the market for buying stuff. So mm. we're not averse to seeing ads. Whereas if you're reading an article on, on, yeah. on one, of the, one of the tabloid newspapers in the UK and Ireland, their sites are horrendous for user experience. It's just bloody pop-up ads. Yeah. It's outstream. It's just dog shit, right? Whereas if I'm on Amazon or on eBay, I, I'm happy to see ads. Yeah. If I'm shopping for a, a food blender and I see something on the wall, you like that food blender, why don't you buy this? Yeah. Instead of like, you know, cooking utensils, I'm going, right, that sounds pretty good. There, there's a whole different experience. I, I think it's been a blind spot for ad tech. I can't believe people have missed this opportunity. Right. But there's a pile of money uh, going into that. And we're seeing lots of new specialized buying units or inside agencies in the big holding groups now that are specialized around this because it's not just buying ads on a page, right? You've got to do like inventory management and you've got to work out what, where, um, you know, what's working and what's not working. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a very interesting sort of uh, practice. So I think on the buy side and the sell side, that is really interesting. Mm. And, you know, I think that that's, that for me, that's a, that's a huge opportunity. And, and it kind of feeds into, I don't know if that, this is one of the predictions, that it feeds into where we're going as an industry in, in terms of like, I think what, what we see, what we see now is mini wall gardens, right? Wall gardens, and mini wall gardens. And I think as an agency, that puts you in a very strong position, right? Or, or, or someone who's working behalf of brands because it becomes, it's becoming even more complex. Mm buy across this ecosystem right because now we have tiktok right tiktok mm. is, is now taking over instagram right from where instagram was and facebook was right and now we're going to have to have all the specialization around optimizing uh and developing tiktok ads for the tiktok environment right and we're already seeing a lot of experimentation but there's a pile of money uh, going into that right there's stuff like reddit right which has 300 million people using that message board that's mm. another environment and we're going to see like Wall gardens, like I'm not like our team will have their own wall mm-hmm. garden, right? and 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 some of the publishers in Ireland are big enough to have their own wall gardens as well. So, I think what we're going to see is this, is this move is it's sort of like a regression. I don't call it a regression, not a backward step, sort of like a sideways step, but an evolution of what it was before. You know what I mean? There'll right. be more selling into the agencies, less about here's a a, a platform that you can buy everywhere. I just don't think that's going to happen. And, and on. on um commerce and retail uh you, you think shopify are, are going to be ones to watch you're quite excited by you think they're going to enter the ad business um in a, in, a, yeah. in a big way and so like i thought shopify were just like a site build business but they they're quite they're quite a lot more than that so can you just explain what type of services they offer and then just talk to me just a little bit about your bet that they'll get into to the advertising business yeah i think i think shopify are going to be the uh, have have sort of positioned themselves as the anti-Amazon, right? Mm. It's a, it's an enabler, a technology enabler that allows um, brands to sell their own products. And it's a framework, technology framework, which allows them to manage and sell uh, inventory online. So um, they do everything from sort of like, you know, product management to logistics, et cetera, you know? So they, they're a 
they've been a, the breakout success of the e-com tech space uh, over the last you know three to four years. I think the next inevitable step for them is how do I uh, you know leverage this massive long tail, uh, a mid to long tail of sites I have around the ad business, and I think that there's a good chance that Shopify will develop a uh, ad tech infrastructure. And it will always be akin to like AdSense for the mid to long tail in display. Right. And it's really interesting that they haven't. If there's been like some leaks about some of the ad, some of the the positions they've been advertising around ad tech, and right. slowly but surely they've been kind of looking around, looking for talent. I, I I wouldn't be surprised if they made a couple of acquisitions this year in that space to help them kind of like forward business. There's plenty of really good ad tech. In Canada, one company I'm thinking of, uh, Indexed, are, are a really well, really run, well run business and have tight connections with Shopify. So you could maybe see them being acquired by the by mm. Shopify. But yeah, I, I think like this feeds into the retail media thing. I think Shopify will will throw because it, it's just a sea of money there for them. Yeah. Like you know, imagine if they can build that. You know, if every site is looking to build that capability, Shopify could just build it in. As a as a sort of uh, into their infrastructure, mm. would you like to show uh, related product ads? Yes yeah. or no? Earn more revenue. Shopify takes thirty percent, like AdSense. Yeah, yeah. And suddenly they have a multi-billion-dollar business on top of what they are, what they're making already. Yeah, and as you say, <clears throat> given that it's it's relatively underdeveloped at the moment, they naturally they're the ones that would probably get first mover advantage in that space. Or you know, um, well, if, so. you have, if you if you're already in, if you've already built. If the framework is already built on the websites, it's just so easy to kind of just add an ad tech element to it. Like, so, you know, are you, what are you selling here? Like, so you could block out your competitor list and then show ads yeah. from other, other related sites. Just, yeah. It's just another money earner for a lot of these mid to long tail sites. Mm, yeah, totally agree. Um, and we, we chatted earlier on about third party cookies and remarketing and the open web is dead. Um, and we, we talked about part of the reluctance to let go of that. We've covered that. But like, there's a lot of companies that said Critio are a business that have made a living off, off the, the cookie. Where do you see companies like, you know, do you see that those going to the wall or do you see them reimagining no. their business? I think Critio are interesting because they, 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 they obviously acquired IPUM Web, which was sort of like the darling of the independent ad tech space led by Dr. Boris, a Russian mathematical genius. Um, and they've been sort of building ad tech for the last sort of 20 years. Uh, and Critio obviously um, have a very, as you say, have, have built a very tidy business on the top of retargeting, mm. which is very reliant on cookies. And they, their business is, is taking a hammering because of this these chains, this moves at the for, privacy force uh, um, uh, uh, era. Um, and I think that um, they have massive relationship with tens of thousands of, of, re, of retailers and e-commerce sites. So there's a huge opportunity for them to build like the stack, the retail media stack mm. for all of those specific customers. Mm. And I think they looked at IPWeb and said, well, we've got IPWeb have, you know, they run BidSwitch, which basically is integrated into every ad exchange, every DSP in the world. I'm thinking that we can use that infrastructure to leverage um, uh, our own product development for these individual uh, buyers. And IPWeb have a thing called Bot and, and Bitter in a Box, which is sort of like a, a small mini DSP, something like Trade Desk or DB360, if you're, if you're, 
viewer or your listeners are aware of that mm-hmm. those products. And it's basically just a simple sort of plug and play for smaller buyers. Right. So, so I think that Critio have made a, a really concerted effort to reinvent themselves. Now, a lot of ad tech is still relying on cookies. Mm. Like we, we talked about it already. Nobody wants to let go because of because of the economic consequences of it, right? But a lot of companies are realizing that that's the way it's going. And it's a slow burn. So what we're seeing is a lot of companies innovating out of that legacy piece. And you'll see some of the SSPs build their own clean rooms because that's the way to go. Uh, some of the DSPs will do something similar. And then you'll see new ad tech coming in, which is going to basically say, well, we're not going to get involved in open bidding or, or, or TCF or any kind of... The TCF is, is a framework, is a consent framework built by the IIB in Europe, which has been sued um, currently by our friend Johnny Ryan in Dublin. I know he's a long-term... Hello, Johnny. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I, I see companies do evolving their businesses. I do see it slowly because mm-hmm. the industry, as you said, is not moving at a, a, it's moving at a snail's pace around this. So mm-hmm. they're evolving with what the customer wants, what the client wants. I think that's dangerous in some respects because it might take longer for them to figure it out right. and they may run out of time. So actually, the, the interesting companies are the ones who just said, you know what? This is Let's done. We're going to get on with it here. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. And yeah, and, and again, Google kind of delaying it again, probably just just dragging it out at this stage. It's a, it's a very slow burn. Google are playing a political game here. Remember that, right? For them to turn off third-party cookies might alert, again, the anti-competitive glare that they don't want. Yeah. By playing this out, saying they don't really care about third-party cookies. Yeah. Google doesn't care. All this stuff is just trying to placate various parties that they're not being googly you know mm, what i mean yeah so i think as i said before the ones that the companies that are ahead of this that are innovating are going to do really well this decade some of the good bigger companies cannot do that because they've got revenue lines to protect and they're yeah. innovating but then there's a middle ground of like people who are just depending on google to save them they're yeah. all going to be crushed right yeah. Interesting times ahead. Um, I'm going to chat a little bit about, like every year, you you, re- you read any trend reports um, in media for the last 10 years, you'd be hearing about, you know, VR and AR. And it's never really took, it's never really taken off, to be honest with you. Now, it's nearly 10 years since Facebook bought Oculus. So, and again, then, it, I don't know, maybe they've done lots. They didn't seem to be doing a lot with that technology at the time. But, you know, it seems to be like we heard about the metaverse as a big and, and all Facebook's news last year, the metaverse. And and I've seen some, okay, they're very early looking. They're quite childish to me, these kind of avatar based, this, this Facebook vision of the future. It's kind of depressing, in, in my opinion, just that I know it looks a bit clunky at the moment and it's kind of just a, a visualization of it. But that... This is a really interesting space. Well, if you're to believe all the hype, it's a really interesting space. Um, so what do you think, what's your view on this move by Facebook and that this future is going to be the metaverse in its in its entirety? What do you think of it? It's it's nonsense. It's it because because it's very confusing, right? There's a lot of people complaining web three, metaverse, et cetera, et cetera, right? I think that I think we need to kind of like be just be wary of what what Facebook did last year. They rebranded the company and it's almost like a uh, sleight of hand, right? It, it was a political move. I mean, they clearly they believe in it, right? But the metaverse to me is is a nonsensical term, right? Gaming has been doing this for for so for, for, for many, many years. Fortnite has been for me like the, the universe for all those 
uh, teenage kids playing the game, trading, buying their avatar clothes, weaponry, etc., using the V bucks, right? Yeah. Um, which is the currency trade? I, I, I just, I can't seem to figure out how you make money out of this, right? It all kind of like if anybody listening, it, I find it very complicated as well. It's 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 not straightforward. And now mm. I'm seeing like metaverse specialists on on uh, on LinkedIn. What a load of nonsense, bullshit! Like. I think what Facebook need to do and what they what they what they should do is they should buy a gaming company like Epic, but that's never gonna happen, right? The 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 uh, competition authorities will never allow Facebook mm. to buy Epic. I think Epic is a really interesting company for that virtual world. I think they've already nailed it in terms of the revenue streams, the audience they've built, I think it's fantastic. What do what's the hook for Facebook? That's calling them Facebook because I'm not yeah. calling them. What's the hook for Facebook? For me and you to use their virtual world, right? I'm not going to meet you in a virtual world to have pints. That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Of. And nobody, even kids, will not want to do that. They're not. They want to go out and yeah. play football, or they want to go to a playgroup, or they want to go to a party. They don't want to go to McDonald's or Burger King or sushi or whatever your kids into, right? So the hook for me is like Facebook are going to have to start buying. They, what they want to become in that world is probably a hub for gaming, right? So they need to start buying gaming companies, and I think that's what they're going to start doing. The other thing that Google or the other thing that Facebook wanted to do and couldn't do is that really that world, that Web three world, whatever world you want to call it, um, because I'm kind of comparing and contrasting. But I see there's an overlap between a whole lot of them. It's the money, right? It's the currency. They tried to launch DM and they got knocked back by everybody because mm-hmm. nobody wants a Facebook or Facebook owned the largest stable coin in the world. And what I mean by the stable coin listers is that it's a crypto uh, token that's pegged to the dollar. So it has a dollar for every token, it's, it's worth a dollar. So that's what Facebook is trying to do. And that is where they, that's where you get real traction, right? The, the, the payments piece. Yeah. Um, I'm not, I don't see what the hook is in putting an Oculus. Yeah. I, I actually, Apparently, it makes you feel dizzy and sick. That's yeah. Uh, I did. I did it once. Did the roller coaster thing once when we had an innovation day, and I, I felt off and nauseous. After it was horrible. That's not me rubbishing the idea of AR VR because or, or the metaverse because I, virtual world, yeah. virtual gaming is is huge and only going to grow. Look yeah. at the success of Roblox, which has had a blockbuster IPO this year and is building an, an online sort of virtual world right around yeah. gaming, right? And 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 the likes of Fortnite and Epic. All right, mm. Epic is going to go public this year. There are two companies that are, that's very interesting. I think that concept of the virtual world is is tailor made for gaming because yeah. I would almost want to play in those virtual worlds. Like you know that that's that sort of uh, makes a lot of sense. And all the kids are you know mad into Roblox and mad into Fortnite and all the rest of it because. Like what Epic are doing is amazing. They're like they're bringing like you know real real world stars into the whole thing and they're monetizing that whole process, running concerts. That yeah. Facebook don't have that. What would make me and you go into that world? I know there's no draw from us. Maybe it's just maybe it's just we're uh, men of a certain age and we just like the idea of virtually meeting people and having virtual pints is just like I remember early on in lockdown, one of the one of the lads I kind of know. You know, house party was a big thing back then, right at the start of it. We and he said, Oh, let's have a house party catch up and we we turned up like about six of us and we had a few cans. And fifteen minutes into it, I was going, This is shit, like it's rubbish. There'll be nothing to talk about. It's like it's just I didn't get it. But is it just you know, maybe, you know, this idea that 
in the metaverse, you can you can be who you want to be. Your avatar can be. I, I don't know. Maybe it's just we we're too old to get it here. Maybe yeah, that- you, you you have to have a context, right? That's why I think gaming is such a yeah. The context small, is yeah. Right. What I, what I'm trying to say is, if you have a virtual world of of Facebook, what is the context like? Mm. Meeting your heads. Yeah. How do you monetize that? Like. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think this is a PR play by Facebook when they figure it out. I right. think what they really want to do, and they won't tell you, well, obviously won't tell anybody. What they really want to do is buy a massive gaming house and build a gaming right. infrastructure, and then basically build their uh, virtual currency, uh, their crypto, their DM, right. and that's how they'll make money. Right. They'll make money on transactions within that. But I do not think they will be allowed to buy anybody in the next three years, which which I think it's going to kill them a little bit. Right. Um, I'm not I'm not bullish on Facebook slash Meta at all. I think they're in I think they're in trouble. I think a lot of this is like just a lot of like moving the the, de- the chairs around the sinking Titanic effectively. Right. Interesting. Um, because well, it's certainly been good. The PR machine has done a good job for them anyway. So, and, and you know, people, oh, are, get, people are getting very, very excited about the metaverse. Can, can you explain one thing to me? And again, maybe I just don't get this because it's quite complicated. So, like, in the same way you talk about walled gardens, like, these virtual worlds already exist, albeit walled gardens within Fortnite, something like that. They already exist, but they're, they are closed off. They're, they're walled gardens, effectively, for, for virtual worlds. Is the idea of a metaverse, unless I got this wrong, that it's a single universe of rather than lots of different multiverses what i i'm not i don't I, maybe i just don't understand it don't, what, we're in a multiverse era now are we is that what we is that what we have at the moment all these different yeah. multiple universes and virtual worlds yeah, i think so i think i think the i think google or, or facebook trying to become like the the multiverse that yeah interoperable. i don't what why would epic trust facebook why would anybody trust Facebook um, or Meta or whatever after what they've yeah, done? Yeah, why should they? Like, if they if they believe in a, a one one um, virtual universe to rule them all, well, who said they should own it? They won't, and they won't. They, they can't. And um, there's too many there's too many stakeholders that will never work with them. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, Apple being the, the primary example. Like, Apple decided that they'll turn their their various um, uh, hardware into into these VR AR. Uh, conduits where you can enter the virtual world. Why would they work with Facebook? I would. Yeah. They hate each other. Yeah. I mean, there's like Facebook are trying to steal engineers from Apple, and Apple are like trying to kill Facebook's business. Like so. So, yeah. so, so the actual the actual idea of one metaverse is just impossible. Anyway, it may it, they may they may have they may create a big a, a big walled garden virtual universe, but we'll never have a real one metaverse. No, I think it's a walled garden thing. It's yeah. like why does Fortnite Fortnite are you know, Fortnite is Epic's massive money earner. Like, it, it's yeah. a huge. Why would you give oh, that control away yeah. to someone like Facebook? Why would yeah. you even let the payment structure be controlled by Facebook? Like, Epic mm. are fighting Apple and Google about thirty percent take rates. Or yeah. why the hell would they let another big tech company in? I mean, I think what's the problem with this is too much bullshit here, right? There's too much fluffiness. When you boil it down, and what exactly is this? It's about it's a power grab by Facebook, right? It, well, first of all, it's a PR exercise for Facebook, right? So that they can get, they change the name, they deflect attention away from their like their their basically social destroying platforms that they have built and effectively have chewed away at a Western democracy and 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 arguably has helped the rise of various despots across the world and. You know they're they're using this as a smokescreen to 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 cleanse themselves, get their uh, crypto 
uh, approved by legislators and then run right. their their thing. I, I, the multiverse thing is bullshit. Misdirection. Misdirection. Um, of course it's, it's yeah. Classic Nick Clegg, who's who's an absolute knob, by the way. Everybody's listening to this. Can't <laughs> be listening. Um, like on gaming, right? Gaming, massive, absolutely huge, and it's relatively. Um, unknown and, and unserved in terms of it's untapped to a lot in terms of ad, like the money that it the, you look at the, the the audience that it has and the and the, the share of time of what it which it occupies and the actual it's not just kind of you know teenage boys playing games in the room it's it has a huge reach and huge scale it's yeah. bigger it's bigger than all the other entertainment industry combined you know yeah. cinema music and yet it's relatively underserved in advertising do you think gaming is a big opportunity for ad tech going forward do you think because oh, the, the ad the ad play in it the, I mean the advertising opportunities in it is not great and I always think I was why is it not used better by uh, by um, adland marketing biggest problem Dave is is uh, uh, measured right I mean I think it's not inventory or infrastructure it's at measurement well, I ad, think that ad tech ad tech could could fix yeah, that there is a there is a big one of the big Big moves this year would be the move to attention-based uh, measurement, right? Or the attention economy, if you will. Um, and I think that would be a big sort of area for ad tech to innovate around. And I think that would really help the gaming uh, uh, sector in terms of attracting more spend. Because the biggest problem for a lot of um, buyers in the gaming space is, well, okay, I, I'm going to put a billboard in GTA. How, how yeah. do I know? How do I know it's been seen? What's the what's the market uplift? What can, yeah. how do I prove it? So there's going to be a lot of um, a lot of innovation around that. And I think that's going to be because primarily the game space is about like downloads of other games, right? It's mm. like how it's been sort of benchmarked. So really, I think there's going to be a big move towards that because like you need to follow the eyeballs and the kids yeah. and, and and not even the kids, the adults yeah. who are who are in there, and you, you need to build brand equity somewhere. But the problem is, I can't spend like a million quid in 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 a in a game and not know what I'm getting for yeah, it. So, yeah, true. So I think once they sort of sort out the measurement piece, which is coming, because I I'm, I'm telling you, I've seen a couple of companies in the attention space. I think it's a huge huge yeah. area, and that will that will definitely bear fruit for. So retail and gaming, big opportunities for ad tech. Well, what, I just want to ask you one other kind of big uh, digital audio has huge success. Um, now. Something, I, I saw a bit of research last year. You, you would imagine, it's counterintuitive, you'd imagine that in a world where you can get content anywhere, the best of content from anywhere um, on demand, that that would really impact local, like if you're an Irish publisher, local Irish content. Actually, most of the growth, and pre predominantly the growth in digital audio has been coming to Irish content, which is actually brilliant. Um, now, it's not coming to radio shows that have just gone online, but it's, you know, Irish content. There's a lot, a lot of, re that's where all the growth's coming. So do you think, when you think about ad tech, um, do you think there's an opportunity or, or what's your view, maybe maybe just not even in ad tech, but ad tech or outside ad tech, what, do you, what are your thoughts on digital audio? Is that going to continue to grow at a pace? Do you think it's had its time or do you think it's it's, it's one to, it'll become more well, interesting? I mean, uh, the sort of like growth of, podcast uh, consumption has gone through the roof. There's a lot of companies who are, who are spending money in the space. There's a big debate whether or not like programmatic ads versus ads that are read out by yeah, the presenter yeah. go, um, which, which will probably hamper the scale because you can only so you only read out so many ads. But I guess they, there's an argument that an ad that's read out by a presenter has more breakthrough. Yeah more uplift than than a, a programmatic ad. Um which 
I don't know. I, I, I don't, don't, it doesn't have to be either or. You can have both. It's like, you know, ads in TV shows or sponsorship of a show. You know, they don't have to be. It's not binary. You can have both. Yeah. I mean, look, radio is, is still huge uh, medium in, in Ireland and the UK and elsewhere. So uh, how does that money transition across? I mean, how do you get fixed? Again, it comes down to like key things like measurement, targeting. Mm. I think that's huge. I mean, Spotify have spent a ton of money and that's where they make, you know, that's how they really make their cash because their subscription base effectively pays for the music license, yeah. uh, licenses they have to pay to the, the record companies, which is extortionate. And what they do then is they monetize the free users on yeah. their platform, of which there's sort of like over, well over 100 million at this stage. I think there's more than that. And they serve audio ads and they're doing pretty well out of it. Yeah. I mean, but they're like, you know, an outlier. But there are companies in, in ad tech that are doing pretty well. I mean, Global here in the UK, um, who own um, a bunch of uh, out-of-home companies and a load of radio stations, they've built a, a platform which which has been pretty successful. Yeah. Again, it's a slow board. Look, yeah, my, yeah. My, my point is, it's not going to be the breakout success. I think you're more likely to see a slow born in terms of uh, the growth of digital audio. Right. Uh, marketing over the decade and uh, you know it's everybody's expecting all these breakouts to happen but like as you know your buyers are a portion spend where this value so Mm, yeah it's in order to fix to to fix certain things to make it work right we've we've covered a lot I've kept you a long time but I just for the last couple of minutes couple of minutes just want to talk to you um, about your business just for a minute so um, as we were chatting off mic there see uh, late last year you're a hugely successful ATS event you're you're back in in the events business so how was that Um, how how were you you excited about that how was the last 18 months generally and then how good was it to be back doing actual real life events I mean, anybody who, who's, who's listening to this from a publisher perspective will understand that if they have a live business, it would be pretty much hammered. Um, you know, we got hammered last year or, or sort of like tail end of last year when the COVID really kicked in. Um, and we've kind of repositioned our business more content-focused stuff, and which has worked very well for us. Um, and actually, you know, the best thing, in a way, COVID was probably the best thing that ever happened to us as a business. Uh, and obviously, when things calmed down around middle of the year before our our friend uh omni omni chrome is it omni chrome or, or <laughs> i don't know omnicom the omnicom, omnicom variant our omnicom decided to make a variant of the covid uh, and release it into the i'm only joking with people at omnicom um but uh yeah obviously we got that our two-day show which was in the velodrome down in the olympic stadium which was cool it was right in the middle of the track mm. uh, it looked amazing all the stuff i saw on on linkedin yeah. and social it it looked amazing. i mean the only thing i would probably say that the audio in that stadium is quite uh, difficult to manage so a lot of a lot of the, the spark on stage uh sometimes got missed right. rules but that's fine uh, and then we did our award service so it was it was good and we were planning to do three three events this year one in madrid three, okay. one in, one in london right when are and they on when, when are they on so the, the London events in June this year, we're moving it June to June permanently. It was two days before Cannes, or sorry, the week before Cannes, okay. because um, we think that our industry is, you know, much broader now. Data-driven piece has gone everywhere. It's not just a subset of yeah. display. It's much, much bigger. Um, and then the Singapore ones in July, we've had to move Singapore from March to July because of the COVID restrictions in right. Singapore. But I think there's a huge demand what, what I was saying to you before, I think what's what's happened 
in our work home life is going to reflect very strongly on on industry events. I think that the fact that people are going to probably work at home a couple of days a week, maybe three days a week, maybe two days a week, mm. the ability to kind of meet their peers is going to be restricted because they're at home, you know, working or they're working remotely, etc. So events like ours are going to be a really good way for, for people to do business. Yeah. And people would make an exception to go to those events to learn, to uh, and to network, to see people. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you could go to conferences like you know virtually, but like, and people are saying, "Oh, it's great! Oh, it's great!" Yeah, I can I can go on and I can there, I can go no, in for an hour. It's not the same because you don't meet anybody. There's no, there's no there's, virtual events are bullshit. They're like your attention span as a human yeah. being is, is is ridiculous. It's like goldfish esque, right? Mm. If you're on a screen, uh, look at a thing, and next thing you know, your phone buzzes. Yeah. Or there's something on Telegram or WhatsApp. Or the Amazon or man rings your doorbell with more deliveries. Yeah, or you're at an event, you're sitting, you're engaged, you go out to the thing, you have a coffee, you see someone you know, you talk about business, things start to happen. You have yeah. a few points afterwards or, you know. Yeah, I think I think that's the bit that we probably underestimated. You think that the, the, the speeches, the talks, the things that you sit and watch are where all the value is. And actually quite often the value is not there. The value is in... The, the serendipity, the people that you bump into, the conversations that happen. I know what the, the text some of the conversations that happened in bars and pubs around off stage were quite often where all the the action was. So I think that, you know, people really miss that. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, we thought it's, yeah, it's no different sad. to the office. That was sad. I think that's that's very true. And I think people people are investing in that. Like, you know, people will make an effort. Once COVID calms down, and yeah. hopefully it will, um, and we'll have a sort of a period of sort of relatively relative calm and, and, and it's insanity because we need we need more sane policies around how we manage this and how we manage um government response. But um I think people will make an effort. I think yeah, that's I think so. It's a, it's just a very interesting thing that so many people turn up for our event. Like we had six hundred people, which I thought was incredible given yeah. you know we're in the middle of a pandemic. Um so yeah I think I think that's Really, really interesting, and I think uh, people will make more of an effort for those big, big marquee events, which is sad because, like, obviously, you know, the long lunches and the, you know, the the, the boozy, yeah. you know, uh, parties and stuff might 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 die a death. They so. died years ago, Kieran. That's that. They don't happen anymore. They don't. They don't happen. unless oh, you're, unless you're, unless you're out with Rob Kinsley. Unless you're with Rob, they they don't happen. No, I'm just joking. Even Rob doesn't do them anymore. Um. So was has business been good for you? Um. I mean, by the way, it's probably. It's probably high risk planning events and booking in, in terms of upfront costs. That you know you're you don't know what's down the road in terms of new yeah. variants, new lockdowns, restrictions. Is, is it is it as highly risky as I think it is? Uh not it, it was previous, but the 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 venues are much more flexible these days because of dropouts, etc. They need revenue, so they're way more accommodative in terms of moving dates. So we've had no issues in that regard. Okay, well, that's good. I mean, like, I'm hoping now that post winter, this lockdown and this this particular variant isn't isn't because we're, we're like we look pretty closely. I mean, events are important to our business, but yeah. they're not like critical anymore. But I do think for the sanity of the industry, we need more meetups. Mm. I, things, yeah, definitely. I think like the industry needs a spark, right, to get it going. Like, and when you're walking remotely, it just doesn't have that. You just don't no, get it's that. all it's all very task based, and we're quite competent at at doing the task based based things that we need to do. So you have to, but it's the I would say like it's the people that I bump into in the office here when I went down for a coffee, and they go, "Oh, actually, you know what? Now they see it. There's this thing that I was working on that, or you might be interested in. And those things don't happen when you have to, you know, 
book if, if half an hour teams call in someone's diary they just don't happen those serendipity serendipitous kind of meetings yeah. casual you know they just don't so but you can get through business as usual it's quite fine because all task based stuff so um, how like in terms of your business well how you how else are you making money what are you doing what like if if brands are do you, do you work directly with brands or where, where are you making um, money I mean we, we do get Look, we, we sort of work in the in the buffer zone of uh, not buffer zone, but the, but the area of execution and measurement and stuff. So we do get brands who are heavily invested uh, in that, and then obviously then there's the agencies who work on behalf of the brands. So yeah. we tend to get more agencies than brands, right. um, I think, which is fine because they're events like in the UK they they represent on in Europe actually represent about forty percent digital spend across the entire continent which is you know of, of many tens of billions so um it's interesting we do get quite a few brands who are much more hands-on right they want to know what's going on they want to know what the bleeding edge is they want to get information around cookies yeah. next wave of innovation so we do we do let brands come uh to the event we we tend to invite them right uh, if they want to come are you doing any do you do any consultancy my cousin's like the global brand manager for like PlayStation. I didn't even notice, so he gets a ticket like so. Do you, do you do any consultancy like? Because I mean, there's been companies. I'm not going to name names, but there was there was a couple of DMPs providers, shall we say, or and they, they were very good salespeople. And I didn't, an awful lot of clients bought expensive ad tech um, and tech stacks that they they couldn't actually use or didn't use, didn't deploy, um, but they were sold. Uh, at very high cost to people. Do you do any consultancy for clients in terms of sorting out their, no. their investment in ad tech or their stack? Last year, um, me and two colleagues from the industry, not related to Exchange Wire or Wirecup, we, we decided that we were going to start a venture capital uh, firm to invest in the next wave of ad tech and martech. So we, 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 we I like collectively, we see a move to privacy first. We see all these different things happening around like Google and, and the wall gardens and, you know, the deprecation of cookies, et cetera, IDs. And we see a huge opportunity to build the next wave of companies. And a lot of companies outside the United States don't get proper on. There's no specialist investors, vertical investors in ad tech, martech and digital media outside the US. They're very much... The VC space outside the US is very much horizontal. They invest in ed tech and ad tech and bloody farm tech. The, the one day they could be investing in AI, the next day they could invest in some sort of you know milking machine right. farming. So so we saw an opportunity to kind of build a, a investment firm that would invest in the next wave of companies. And we're quite interesting because we've got um, a syndicate model and, and, a, and a fund model. And what I mean by our syndicate is we 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 basically we do due diligence on all the companies that we look at, right? So we look at financials, we look at market fit, we look at the people who are running it. And then we we, we sort of think, well, would we, would, you, would we build this company? Would we build this tech? Is this got a good market fit? Is there a good outcome here? Will it be bought? And then we bring that, when we do all our due diligence and financials, et cetera, we bring that to our syndicate and our syndicate invests in things. Right. So our fund invests alongside our syndicate. Our syndicate has about 500 people. So we have global execs from ad tech agencies publishers etc cetera, etc cetera. um and it's going pretty well we're look, we're looking to the fund's going to be 15 million dollars we're going to raise we've raised about five so far mm-hmm. um it's fun ra- raising money from like old rich white people who who really don't want anything about <laughs> ad tech and martech um 
I mean, they're just interested in the metaverse and Web3 because they read it in the fucking newspaper. Yeah. So that's interesting. So yeah, I, I, in terms of consulting, I don't do any consulting because I, I feel that... You're busy, right, you're busy yeah. enough by the sounds of it anyway. You're flat out. Is, I think we, we, we provide a lot of free consulting on the site, which right. then feeds into what we do at the event. So, you know, I, I don't want to take money away from people who are actually better at working with clients and, in, and implement. And you're right. A lot of clients are being sold technology that they don't really need. Yeah. And what they need is something is stuff around strategy and maybe different technology uh, things that they don't know. So DMPs, DMPs are now not are, are worthless. Like, yeah. well, what are they? They're cookie management and segmentation tools. Mm. I mean, all they did was take like pieces of like um, code and put them into a system, and then it's just JavaScript. They spend it, but they 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 were costly to say. I give I'll give the sales guys in in some of those big ad tech companies their props. That they were brilliant salespeople. That that was that was pre uh, ITP and pre uh, Apple mm. and Mozilla. I mean, you, you could see that coming from my life. Mm. And now the, the latest craze is CDPs, which is like a uh, customer platform, I data remember. platform, yeah, yeah, customer data platform, and they're more about like total integration yeah. of all data. I mean, I think it's important, but they're expensive. But I think you're right. Look, I, I'm not the consultative part. No, I, I, I did. I once did a call. <laughs> I always get calls from. So there's all, all these like uh, hedge funds in New York, and uh, I always get calls through a third party about, you know, what do you think of this stock? Yeah. Well, I, I tend to charge them a thousand dollars because they got plenty of money, and it's always about the trade desk for some reason. Right. They love talking to me about the trade desk. Um. And I have nothing bad because right. it's doing pretty well. So, yeah, 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 very good. Um, if people, you said you've lots of lots of free consultancy available on your website. So, if anyone's listening, where can they find out? Where can they read up on things? Where do they go? Just go to, to exchangewire.com and subscribe to the newsletter. And that we send newsletters out every every day, and then okay. we do a weekly one. And it's three stories that we pick. We don't. It's not like a bamboozle of, yeah. of, of just news. We pick three specific stories from globally that are relevant to the industry. So we do a lot of APAC-related stories, European-related stories, mm. North America-related stories. Oh. And then, yeah, we, we, we tend to put all our stuff, like we do we do whiteboard sessions. So like, to your point, sometimes you need to understand how things work. Yeah. So we bring companies in and we whiteboard it. So okay. that whiteboard is the, is the communication medium of ad tech and martech. And we tend to bring people in and I go through and I, I, I almost like, Feel I'm either an agency or a publisher, and I ask them the questions that you want to ask. Like, yeah. what? How is this going to make my life easier? What does it do? Yeah. How is it different from all the other shit that's on the on the market? Mm. Uh, and that we bought it. So we do a lot of that, which has been very popular um, with with the vendors who want to have explain it and have a big audience to go to, and also the people at agencies, people at publishers, people at marketers, on the marketing side are keen to understand how things work because there's a lot of complexity yeah. and a lot of nonsense and noise in this industry. And I think sometimes that is a, a deterrent because you get exhausted from all the noise. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, and it's good to kind of just boil it down. Yeah. I have a particular philosophy around where the industry's going, privacy first. I think if you start from that, you'll always win. Right. Now if if we get to a middle ground where some of the old practices are, are accepted, then you're a winner. Yeah. Because you started from that position of of pure privacy. Yeah, true. Most brands should go down that route anyway because privacy scandals and are, are, are just a hindrance to mm. to the brand themselves. 
Right. Okay, Kieran. Thank you so much for joining me today. This is probably going to be our longest one I've ever done. So we had lots to talk about. So thanks for making yourself available and sorry for taking you taking so much of your time. But thanks for joining me. Dave, it was a pleasure. Actually, these types of conversations had me think about stuff. So yeah. I'm, Good. But well, great. I'm, I'm, I'm glad I'm glad you got something out of it too, because I know I certainly I did. So. Oh, I'm sure though, I always get great feedback when you're on. So um yeah, so thanks for joining me. And thank you to our partners in the Irish Times Media Solutions who make all this possible. Thanks also to Kira in Marketing and Andrea on Sound. If you like this episode, listen back to some of our other great episodes. You'll find them on any of the platforms where you get your podcasts or by typing Irish Times Inside Marketing into your search engine of choice. So until next time, thanks for listening. The Inside Marketing Podcast brought to you by Dentsu and Irish Times Media Solutions. 